Welcome to Call Your Hits, a Storm Riders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. My guests today are two Australian airsofters, Ben, also known as Frosty on the Discord, who's been on the program a few times before, and his compatriot, Josh McKenzie. Josh, along with Cal Chataway, is one of the founding members of Oscar Zulu One, or Oz One, the group of Australian airsofters that organize yearly airsoft games in New Zealand. As you may recall from previous conversations with Ben, airsoft is not legal in Australia. And back in 2013, after winning a contest for an all-expense-paid trip to go play airsoft in New Zealand, Josh and Cal were able to forge some important friendships with the Military Adventure Group, a group of Kiwi airsofters. This friendship would pave the way for Oz One to, quote, bring Australia to Airsoft every year. Since their first event in 2014 called Invasion, Oz1 has been coming up with a new theme and scenario every year, learning from and building on the lessons learned from previous years. Their newest game is called Operation Black Gecko, and it's coming up next month in October of 2023. And it's going to be played over three days. And we're here today to learn all about it. So gents, welcome to the show. Ben, it's always great to have you on. Josh, you came highly recommended, and I thank you very, very much for being here with us today, sacrificing your Friday evening after a long day. Um, Josh, I'm obviously very interesting, uh, interested, I should say, in the upcoming event, but I'd love to learn a little bit more context from you about your very first experience with Airsoft in New Zealand, and then realizing with Cal that creating an event like this in New Zealand for your Aussie audience would be a goal for you. I know that wasn't yesterday, but what were some of the, those initial conversations and experiences like? Uh, yeah, perfect. Um, it's always good to start at the beginning. Uh, it's yeah. an honor to be here as well. The um, the beginning was was quite different for both of us. Cal had been part of an organization we had in Australia called the Australian Airsoft Council. Uh, and he'd been sort of high up in that and, and working with people all around the country to try and get some uh, some push on whether we could ever sort of have this dream in in Australia. What I don't think people realize around the world uh, is no one in Australia that I knew or that I haven't introduced the sport to knows the word. So they don't understand what Airsoft is. If I have to keep it short, I'd just be like, it's like paintball, and we have that here. So Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have replicas involved and they're just, uh, you know, paintball guns, that's been able to be a, a go from the from the start. I actually think I first had to look up what airsoft was from like a YouTube video where I had had seen this and it was used as a prop. Mm-hmm. I went and I found the airsoft council. Cal and I met in an airport, like I think a year into me being a member, and it was my membership that just had an automatic entry into this competition. Uh, neither Cal or I won the competition. Two other people won, and they couldn't go. So it sort of fell to uh, to us to go, uh, and it was amazing. We'd never met before, met in Sydney Airport uh, and flew over, and the first year was just a ride. The first night we arrived, and we camped on field at the very first event, uh, which was one year before OZ1. So we were just two Aussies uh, over in New Zealand and had, you know, we were camping on field, we were supposed to sleep, and we had arrived at like the, on the red eye, so it was like one o'clock in the morning. And by the time we got to the field, we're supposed to sleep to get ready for the game. Not not either of us got a wink of sleep. Like we were so yeah. excited <laughs> to just go. Uh, and that year was fantastic. And credit to that that original team uh, who sort of put that together for us and allowed us to experience that. And I think it was on the flight out. We're just like, okay, so it's over. What uh, what do we do now? And he's like, well, we've got to do it again. <laughs> and we yeah. should bring more people if there's two of us. Because, you know, there was everyone knew there was two Aussies in one of these squads. So we were a target. <laughs> and mm-hmm. We got taken out as, like, super freshies. We're, like, like, completely green to the sport. And even years later, like, we go four, maybe five days a year. We've only played that much airsoft. So yeah. having as much skill as you could possibly have in OZ1 is less than two weeks all up. So... So that's it's why you brought Ben in to be a meat shield. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frosty's Frosty's a weapon. Uh yeah. and I do recall I think he's mentioned it on one of the other podcasts, the uh the takedown of seven of us. That was 
that was my squad and it was uh the pmc so it was supposed to be the team balancer and because they were doing so well we had come through and we're like oh we better take some of these these capture points back and we thought we had it easy when we had taken out most of frosty's squad and as i go to res he's just popped up and taken the last two of us out and i'm like oh that's yeah, that's a team down. Well done. <laughs> he's gone back. And, but, and he didn't blink. He's just like straight back and he's like gone to res his guys and he's moving on. And I'm like, this is this is the kind of airsofters we need. And there's so many of us. I mean, there's ranges of everyone in the team, but it's fantastic to have Frosty on board. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been since 2014 that you've been running these games. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to be this year's will be, the, I guess, the, the ninth, but minus the COVID years, I suppose, which, you know, we all have to subtract. Uh, it's it's been nine years since the initial game. What were some of the early lessons for you, um, from an organizing standpoint, in terms of I think anyone who's organizing a game, first of all, who's listening to this, is not thinking about organizing a game in a different country. So number one, right? <laughs> um, and the other thing that I think is probably lost on some people who don't have the experience that you have, which is that you're right. Like however many times you've played in New Zealand is how many, however many times you've played airsoft, right? Which also means that when you go to New Zealand to play airsoft, you also want to play. Most people who organize games don't also play those games or don't tend to play those games. So I guess that's two twofold questions, right? Like what were some of the lessons that you learned initially and how do you balance organizing a game that you also want to play? Yeah. So, I mean, we got some, some really hard lessons early, uh, especially with organizing such a big team. I think we started to try and organize it with, you know, pen and paper. And then I have taught myself how to, you know, build a solid spreadsheet since then. Mm -hmm. um, but also safety things. Like we were, we were observing the organizers sort of uh, scream out to make sure that everyone was doing just like healthy things. Like they were checking out boots on, you know, one of the 48 hour things because it was just a safety thing. Wanted to make sure that everyone was uh, was safe on the field. And that's mm -hmm. paramount in more ways than one. Like the iPro thing was was obviously the most important relating to how the guns work from the start. But we needed to watch people's hydration. Some of these guys don't go out into the bush at all. And mm -hmm. uh, they were going out for four days with us. So I think there was one year where we're like, oh, do we sort of do the whole like forced brief of safety every single day and like, you know, yell at these guys to make sure they're drinking water and i think we i think halfway into one of the events where we thought we'd take it easy people were just like dropping like we had people that were dehydrated or, or had heat stroke and we we're like oh this needs to stop mm -hmm. and small things like not having guys have thermals under their gear because no one's taken off their webbing so they'll just run hot and then they'll run too hot and they'll overheat and I think it was those early lessons of like organization, especially in a, it's a different country and we're very close down here. Some of the guys drive further up to a game than we fly, uh, at least on the east, but the climate is completely different. So a lot of mm -hmm. us, and especially if you're in like sort of Queensland up where it's nice and hot in Australia and you're going to essentially what's the line of Tasmania, the most southernmost point of Australia, where we're playing a game, guys are freezing and they over prepare for that by layering up underneath their gear and mm -hmm. we just always tell them you know put stuff over so you can just shed it when it gets hot because in the middle of the day in the sun it's going to be hot especially if you're dragging gear around uh, and as far as organizing and playing i'm definitely playing less and less uh, as we organize the bigger and bigger events but i think it's because i'm enjoying the organizing just as much whereas mm -hmm. you know we kind of had to do it and had some help at the very beginning that was you know we went from I think five in our very first game to 25 where we're playing with all these Kiwis. And then it got up to 50 and then it got up to 120. And then like one of these big games was I think 70 aside and wow. it was 48 hours on field. So uh, we did make the mistake of splitting it down the middle and having Aussies on one side and Kiwis on the other. And that became a very, cause I mean, you take Aussies and Kiwis and put them together, they get pretty competitive. Uh, and it got, <laughs> yeah. it got kind of nasty out there for a little bit, but only just, you know, just good, uh, good fun until, until after where everyone shook hands and had a beer anyway. Hmm. But it was, um, yeah, it was some learning curves like that. So when I balance the teams, I always make sure the numbers are balanced. And I've got like half Kiwis, half Aussies every single time. Um, the only other time I've played Airsoft was in Thailand on a separate trip. We had a, a recon group of three of us go to see if we could organize another event there. And that looks mm -hmm. promising as well. So we might just go everywhere we can that's close and, and give it a shot. But definitely trying to, trying to head up to the 
Northern Hemisphere even more in the future. Right. So you had Invasion in 2014. You had Colombian Dawn in 2015. Invasion 2 in 2016. There's there's a few others uh, that since then. Ben, where along that timeline did you link up with um, OZ1? Yeah. So um, my first entry to the series was the first Conquest game of the three. That was in 2018. Um, and like Josh, I had never known what it really was. Saw videos on the internet. And mm-hmm. I was at a point in my life where I said, I've just finished school. I've got some money. I've never left the country. Let's do something crazy and go meet 60 other random blokes and shoot each other with plastic. Um, yeah. And that's basically what happened was I got put into a squad. I gave them my money and I arrived at the airport where I met um, two other guys who are flying over, you know, I see these guys sitting at the terminal with multicam backpacks and I'm thinking who else would be going on and playing with military gear other than a bunch of boys playing airsoft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was my entry too. So since, since that initial entry, how, how are you involved with, um, OZ one in terms of any support or preparation for the the game itself. So I know in the past we talked about how do you prepare as a player to go over and like do all this kind of stuff. But I'm curious, like as a player who's also participating in an event in a in a serious way, like you're just not. It's not your first kick at the can. How are you supporting Josh and the other organizers or your other fellow players for that kind of that kind of event? Yeah, well, for other players and for Josh and the admin team, I support in any way that I can because. If no one's gathered it by now, I'm pretty much in love with this sport. And if I want to see these events succeed, I need to make sure that not only are the other players having a good time, which means that I'm now telling them what gear to buy, what cars to rent, what accommodation to stay at, the places to visit while you're there, um, you know, whether you should be eating this or drinking that, whether you need to take your five-minute break, make sure that they're not going to have a horrible time and not come back because we need these players to come back. And then for the admin side, well, um, the common term we hear is it's like herding cats. So at least if I can deal with 10 of my players, I know it's going to make it easier for admin. But mm-hmm. I also need to know from the admin side, like, what am I preparing them for? Because every year is going to be different. I need to know whether, like in the past, admin has given us MREs as food. That's something we don't do now. Accommodation was an option. Now there's another group that does a combination. But um, yeah, apart from that, Josh will just come to me with generally a lot of, hey, bud, can you just look at these rule sets or have a look at these things we're doing? And then I look through, I put out everything from the spelling mistakes to just things that clearly make no sense to me and see yeah. how we can change it. It's so, so interesting to me because obviously our communities are very different, <clears throat> but there is this piece, especially in the early days of our community too, where there's an ownership that's required of the player base to make sure that this continues. Because if you don't participate, like participating at a game is one thing, but if you don't participate in supporting the building of this community, it is much less likely to succeed. Like, it, you know, you can't do all the good that Airsoft in Australia needs, but it needs all the good that you can do individually in order to be able to push that forward, right? And it, it's very, very reminiscent. I mean, of the first like games where we're playing Airsoft and here and there's like six of us, right? And then yeah. the next game, there's five of us. And I'm like, how are we going to... Well, anytime anyone shows any interest, you got to like get them in, but don't scare them, right? That, that sort of like way to just get them and keep them, right? So yeah, yeah. I totally, I totally get that. So listen, let's fast forward to this year. Let's talk about Operation Black Echo a little bit. Um, you mentioned, Josh, like, some team, some games you've had like seventy players aside. What are you? What are you looking at this year? Like, how many players are you expecting to come over from Oz to New Zealand? Uh, so traveling players, I think we are at. I'm not. I'm really trying to keep the numbers under wraps, so I don't want to say too much. But it's uh, it's over a hundred on the roster, and that includes wow. Aussies and uh, and Kiwis. Uh, some of the Kiwis, because we sort of chew into Friday and then we have a bonus game on Monday, some of the Kiwis will only be there for the weekend, uh, but mm-hmm. they'll only miss half a day of gameplay. Um, so I think at the peak of the event, there will probably be over 120 players on field. And yeah. flying, most of those are Aussies. So yeah. there's we've got 
I think about 40 Kiwis and then everyone else is traveling. That's, that's big numbers. And I, I noticed as I was doing, you know, prep for the episode that it looks like there's a whole week of airsoft that's planned around uh, Black Gecko. Like there's some games that are happening before that you guys aren't running as well as some CQB games the day after, which you're not, you're not running, but will most of your players coming from Australia be there for the whole week or typically just for the, just for the event? So unless there's something restricting them from being involved, there's usually like massive interest in all of it. Um, mm -hmm. As Frosty was saying about our Conquest series, we did three of those in a row because I wanted the gameplay to be simple and everyone just to have like a good time. So it wasn't too hard to organize. It was literally just a Conquest style. But each year we added something. Uh, and like the first one was the first game that we ran without any assistance from the outside. And it was like, like we do not fear the old gods. We kind of need to make this our team and our event. Um, mm. And then 2019, we added Airsoft Week, which was like the one of the shops who has an indoor field set up like an IPSC uh, target shooting thing. So guys could actually learn how to use these guns as quickly as possible in the like, you know, days that they had. Um, but then, then there was like in, indoor CQB, which was never an experience that was available. Uh, that has come like after we had started that came mm -hmm. up and that was a like compelling experience to even be a part of. So now we try and do a little bit of indoor CQB, a little door, a little bit of outdoor, uh, CQB. And then we have the big event in the middle, but there's some greenfield games for the really, really, uh, green guys who need mm -hmm. some training first. And those yeah. are organized by one of the teams that sort of formed within our team uh, and when there's like there's plenty of that and i it's it's really humbling to see like 40 guys get together and be like yeah we're within oz1 we're these guys and it's like this is awesome and as as frosty said they all organized stuff for us they took accommodation off our hands and transport because we were doing all of it at the very beginning we were organizing experience from front to back which was like you fly here we do the rest mm -hmm. and you know ration packs and stuff like that but this year we're really sort of digging into mission play. We had the PMC to balance stuff out if it wasn't going how we planned before. And, you know, that had its ups and downs, having a third team, especially one that switches sides, you know, whenever the admins deem fit. Um, so this is two teams and it's all about the missions. So we're, we're really writing it up. And, and for the people that sort of may have had that lacking previously, I think they're going to enjoy this one a lot more. So what is the basic, I guess, story or idea behind the game? And like, what is the basic, I guess, gameplay premise? Without giving away any trade secrets, what, uh, <laughs> what's the, the, the basic premise? So the basic premise is there's two teams. There's like a, a team that has been there that is called the People's Militia. And they're, all, they're sort of like, they're in the built-up structures. Some of the, the favorite stories out of Fort and Watchtower that Frosty's, Frosty's brought up. They're, they're going to start over that side. Uh, and the new resistance is this, this, this pushing force. So um, I had to pick two colors that were equally stand, like uh, able to stand out in the bush because uh, mm -hmm. we had blue, had blue and red before. Um, so they're gold and purple. And they'll be armbands because we've never done it before. People always complain that they can't just get the right camo for four days and, and be mm -hmm. on their team. Or if they want to switch, they don't have a second set of cams. Like this is, this is an investment they make to be able to play the game. Um, so the cams are just a guide, whatever you want to wear, you can wear, um, everyone will be in armbands and we'll just see how it goes. We haven't like, we're still, we're still experimenting every year and if it's better, we'll keep it. And if it's not, we won't, or we'll just run some with and some without. Uh, and then yes, yeah. So this new resistance force sort of pushing through and their idea is to sort of take as much as they can, as quickly as they can. And it's the people's militia that needs to sort of defend that. Right through the middle of our field, we're lucky enough to have a bunch of little fields sort of everywhere. So there's like mm -hmm. a theme in some spots, like a lot of it used to be some paintball areas that are now that they now don't have their barriers. So you can walk straight from like forest into like these uh, what we call graveyard, which is a bunch of gravestones like with holes in them that you can shoot through. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just a section of the field. So okay. you can describe where you are by saying sort of, you know, what's around you and some of those, but there's oil drums right in the middle. So we're going to put a pipeline right through the middle and then have that separate the factions at the beginning. And then all the missions kick in. We'll do missions on the hour, every hour. Uh, and then they can affect sort of changes in gameplay. The rest is still being worked on, but it's, uh, yeah, the way that it's going to work and some of the missions that we've already gotten creative about, if they can be pulled off, it's going to be, it's going to be quite an event. So um, speaking of the missions, I think one of the challenges that I, can, that I can imagine as an organizer, especially where, you know, you have to rely on other people to help you. How do you um, 
get help to prepare for the event, but also try and keep secrets or surprises from the people who likely are helping you, but also will be playing, like a guy like Ben, for example. So if there's a question that Ben asks and I can't tell him the answer, I will just tell him, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> and then he will ask again. Uh, and I'll be like, no, that's not something that. But the guys that are involved in the admin, uh, generally there's an equal amount from both teams. So if anything is leaked, the other team sort of has that information anyway. But I trust them. And mm -hmm. they always have kept that trust. And I trust every single one of the guys that come to play. And I have known them for, you know, four days at a time. But they feel like family for the rest of the year round. Um, because yeah. that's how they act. Like it's an honor sport and it's a bunch of, and like <clears throat> Australians playing overseas, always honorable. Like our sportsmanship means more to us than like anything else. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so we, and we keep that and we uphold that and we are very protective of the team. If someone is not doing that, then I don't have to speak to them. They've been sort of like their own squad will speak to them. If it gets yeah. out of hand, they'll let me know, but I can't remember the last time that's happened. I've heard whispers and they're like, nah, nah, never got to you. I'm like, oh, well, if it sorted itself out, it sorted itself out. And as long as people are happy and no one's, you know, no one's, uh, it's never antisocial behavior ever because everyone is like a mate. Everyone's getting along really, really well. Yeah, it's super easy to bond. Um, like I remember my second year, we were, you know, coming to the end of the, of the day and we were sort of on the drinks at this point. And Cal came up to me and we were talking about like past stories and Cal had the idea that I'd been there for like four or five years, but again, I don't. It was only my yeah. second year. It's exactly, it's super easy to get that bond of these people. I talked about that with uh, uh, Jordan on the podcast last week, and I think we called it uh, trauma bonding. Is the yeah. <laughs> is the name for it? <laughs> but it's true. You're absolutely right. And you know, in my experience, my many many years playing airsoft, it's been very funny the number of people who I've met who very quickly I've felt like, Oh, I've known you my entire life. And yet I've only met them, you know, last month or two months ago or what have you. And many of the people on the team, my team, uh, the storm riders, that's exactly how it happened. Like you meet people. And I guess when you're playing, you know, long games and stuff like that, you sort of get a sense of the person that you're dealing with very quickly and whether or not that's, you know, an individual that you want to hang out with. The advantage is our sport is so niche that typically if they're there, you probably will get along with that person. Right. Mm. Um, I also know from past events <clears throat> that you have had um, games with like vehicles and stuff. I think it was like, you even had a helicopter one year. How did you arrange that? And is that something that you're looking at this year, like in terms of vehicles? Um, so sadly this year there won't be any vehicles. It's really, uh, it's quite difficult to organize most of this stuff from another country. So mm -hmm. when we're, when we're in Australia organizing, we're thinking about everything we possibly can do. We'll have four days boots on the ground to get props and stuff set up. So some of the stuff, uh, we'll be assisted with. We used to have, um, an amazing, amazing soul who used to drive his van that was kitted out with a turret on the top uh, and like a machine gun holder on the on the outside that was like a stretched arm that you could move around. He would give people lifts everywhere. Uh, we have done the helicopter before. That was a matter of just sort of organizing it with uh, the airfield. So we drove to the airfield, but flew into the field and landed. That was on mm -hmm. a clearing that doesn't exist anymore. That's now been seeded as far as I'm aware. Uh and this is all, yeah, the the land that we're on uh, that that belongs to you know New, New Zealand and Canterbury as a as a populace. So there's some things we can do and some things we can't. We did have a lot of assistance from the early organisers. So they had, I, I believe, they also had uh, the vehicles for other purposes that they used for film and TV and such. So mm -hmm. they were available, uh, and we were really lucky to use those. They weren't deployed too often. Um, but for like the big FOB, that was good to have the vehicles around. Some people just have, if they have a car that they don't mind using on field, they'll use that. Um, and, uh, always get a $0 excess on your rental car. Cause, uh, you never know what can happen. <laughs> yeah, it's, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's something that we, if we can do, we will always include it. I don't think it's too important on the, a field this size. So like, I think you can walk from one end to the other in, you know, maybe 15 minutes, mm -hmm. uh, maybe 20 uh maybe 25 i've never really Depends done it. let's, let's do it ben this year and find <laughs> yeah, out so we have better year. answers um but yeah it's like it's it's fantastic to have when it's there but then you've got all the added stuff to worry about like the safety aspect and uh who's going to drive them because they're not going to be playing are they going to be in play 
uh, in a way that they are part of the game or is, you know, what's the what's the protocol for stopping them? We've done sort of vehicle searches and stuff before uh, and had RSOVs and, you know, that was great to have a QRF that we could actually deploy within minutes anywhere on the field. Um, but yeah, that was organized by people that were there all the time and playing Airsoft every second weekend. So they had a little mm -hmm. more access uh, than we did. But it's never something we say no to. Like, I don't think there's anything that we've done before that we couldn't do again. And we were thinking about the helicopter again this year. We just probably wouldn't have had enough time. Uh, and then organizing that is, yeah, that you, you do need to sort of have that in your basket from the very, very beginning if you want to sort that out. But I haven't probably ever had a thrill as good as like opening the doors on a helicopter and the, and the pilot was just so chill. Um, just like, don't forget to close the door. And I'm like, okay, all right, I won't. <laughs> and there's, I think there's footage, there's GoPro footage of me like getting everyone out. And then like, I closed the door very purposefully and then I move away. <laughs> um, but it was great. And I think there was, there was three flight teams at all, but I was on the third one and I got there and the battle was over. So <laughs> it was a cool experience, but I didn't go like uh, running into battle. We kind of went, oh, we're, do we go now? It doesn't yeah. matter. That was cool. Apparently, was um, apparently Zen was on the first flight and he did that. They <sighs> landed and did the full charge. And then they were told that you shouldn't be doing that. So then no one else got to do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting was, yeah. because I, I guess, you know, for, I, I'm not going to say every airsofter, but I would say a large majority of airsofters, the idea of, you know, inserting into the field via helicopter is something that they would all say yes to. But I, I would say, and you certainly correct me if I'm wrong here, but because of how little you get to actually play Airsoft, the drive to make sure that you are able to provide those experiences to players is much higher. Because if you don't do it this time, it's going to be at least a year before you can get a chance to do it again. And in some cases for that particular player, they might not, you know, depend budgets aside and stuff, they might not be able to make it, you know, for they might have to skip a year or whatever. So I can imagine that the amount of investment that you make initially as an organizer in trying to figure all these big, like big ticket, big impact moments, like you're talking about setting up props for four days prior, you know, I don't necessarily know there's many other game organizers who are doing that kind of work on the boots on the ground, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's like a blank canvas when we get there every year and we're like, Oh, what's changed about the field this year. We have to go and kind of walk it first and, and see, and there's not hard barriers to where, you know, there are some some residents. They were aware of what we do and everything, but they're close, and we need mm -hmm. to make sure that there's roped off areas that we can, if we see anything that we can spot, that it's included in the briefing, um, and also sort of just make sure. Oh, does this still exist here? Like, is this safe? Is this structure that was here and possibly hasn't been maintained for the last 360 days? Has it, you know, blown over? Does it not exist anymore? Is it safe uh, to to work? And I mean, like, you know, as simple as going to the local hardware store and getting something that can cover as a base that we can, you know, sort of have people go out and set up. Uh, we need to usually grab that every year because by the time the next years come around, we've got some stuff from the year before. Um, but I remember there was a year that we had conquest flags and I was like, where did we get those from? Where did they go? And <laughs> we're like, I'm like, who has the flags? And I asked everyone that was like on the ground and they're like, no one has the flags. I'm like, well, we didn't take flags back with us to Australia, so they have to have been somewhere, and we just made do with, you know, uh, a slight change in the rules, and then, actually, what I've seen over here is more genius than I've ever seen uh, anyone do it, which was just uh, to hang a flag on a tree, and then just it just flips, and I was like, that's so simple. We could just easily do that, um, and just stuff that we hadn't thought about, but one year we did the uh, capture points with just no flags. It was your job mm -hmm. to know whether or not you had that or not. And there was a radio on a witch's hat, so like a, a traffic cone. Mm -hmm. And the radio was accessible near the traffic cone, and you'd call it in. So everyone's radio etiquette had to be pretty on point to let us know, hey, we're capturing this for red. And we'll be like, okay, that was already red. <laughs> but, but that's what they were, you know, they were going through. And I wasn't going to take that away from someone. If they're capturing it from red, sure, 100%, put it down. Uh, it was yeah. already red. I don't need to tell them that. They got a they got yeah. a good, they got a, they got a great uh, sort of thrill out of that. So, but yeah, that's, and that's, um, yeah, it's always something to think about. Just as much as we can, we really try and pack in as much as we can into these like four days. Uh, while still, we always always sort of keep in mind 
not long ago we were completely fresh at this and no one had organized this for us we need mm -hmm. to make sure that we're looking after the the newest person that has signed up a week before only just heard about it as well as you know the guys that that have been coming the entire time which is uh, i think we've got the that's where we started doing the rank patches which was literally just you know a star for each event and if you've been doing it for long enough you know if you've got an issue and you find a guy with three stars like he's done this three times like ask him a question yeah. that's fine that's a really that's a really good way of of looking at it for sure uh and you're absolutely right again you know the people who've done it three times you don't need to convince them to keep coming back like they're that ship yeah. has sailed it's the new it's the new person right the person right at the back who you need to be speaking to to say hey what do you need right so i i mean i really appreciate your that um that mindset for sure so thinking about this year what is new in this event, whatever you can talk about, of course. But what's new in this event for this year? What are some of the changes that you're bringing to the format? Yeah, so like I said, we were always relying on uh, that balanced sort of team. And I never had to worry about it because I could deploy and just be like, cool, if we've got five red flags and there's five flags, uh, we get our best, and, uh, like our, our best and brightest and they just go and they're working for blue for the next three hours. So... Mm -hmm. Blue gets to work for Blue, and we're working for Blue, and it balances out. Um, that was it was received with sort of like everyone kind of liked it, but there was also some feedback that was received that was mixed. In that it mm. was, yeah, you guys sort of just switch after we've done a great job, and then come mow down all our work. And I'm like, yeah, but then we switch back. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, that'll be different. We're not doing that. I'm just like, you know what? Cool. We can just do a year with two teams. That's not a problem. Uh, and making sure that there's a bit of law that you can sort of read into and, and that it's written up well. So if you really want to sort of dedicate to the cause or, um, and as well as I, I believe the, uh, each squad will have like their own team members that are important in their role. So because they've got roles, like I think last year we just played everyone's a medic. So everyone, anyone can medic you. That's fine. This year you'll have a medic. If your medic dies, that sucks. And that's going to be a lesson that you learn pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, things like capturable respawns. Like everyone respawned from the car park last year. And people were like, this is not the best. And I'm like, well, we can't police what's happening at other respawns if we don't have any admins there. So we need to make sure people are coming back. And it's not like any of us were uh, worried about cheating necessarily. But if we didn't have at least an idea of where the bases were. We needed to know and gauge how hard the game was and how easy it was. This mm -hmm, year will probably be at least giving you a grid reference where you set up a base um, without giving away too much. Right. And then that makes it easier for you to put an admin there at the very least or make sure that an admin goes there at regular intervals, let's say, just to your point. And it's very similar what you're saying to what we did in a previous game where it's like, I don't, I'm not really concerned about players cheating, but if one side is getting absolutely rocked and is just sitting in their respawn, I at least want an admin there to be able to go, okay, guys, like get back out there or something, something of that nature, understanding that there's no balancing force. It's like, okay, well, you're going to need some bodies. So you might as well just, you know, we'll give you a free respawn go out there and just, yeah. So I, I totally, I totally feel that. Um, and in terms of like, you know, one of the challenges that I've abutted against as a, an organizer is managing the gameplay aspect of things like how the game is going to run and my spreadsheet on spreadsheets on spreadsheets, which I totally feel. Um, but then also the lore, the role-playing, the story, etc. And I've been very fortunate in that I have Pat, uh, you know, who I've been, he's been my best friend since we were, you know, children, but also my best earsoft mate who can say, okay, well you give me the role-playing lore stuff. I'll handle that. You just focus on the boring logistics of it. Um, do you have that dynamic for yourself? Like, are you doing, or are you doing all of it simultaneously? We have our own. Oh path. no, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've got yeah, same uh, guy in the Warhammer and everything, uh, D and D okay. Dungeon Master. <laughs> the only thing that I think is doesn't go in common is our guy Candyman. He doesn't do gun taking, as far as I know. But um, gotcha. apart from that, it's basically Pat. Yeah, I've always wanted yeah. to do gun taking and never been able to because uh, I get four days a year to have a crack at it. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. gets a little bit more difficult but no um big shout out to candy man who is basically the the law master and provider of sweets um he was famous for running around field with jelly snakes in each pocket of his cargo pants and just being like mm -hmm. sugar <laughs> and and offering that to everyone as we went around and some people some people needed it 
Uh, and then like, yeah. Gal, like there's two founders, like there's two of us that started it from the beginning and we've both been putting in the exact same amount, which is everything we got <laughs> every yeah. time. Uh, and then you, you get like, you get really lucky and someone like Ben will come along and just be like, yo, what about this? And it'll be an idea. And I'm like, done. It's in. Let's go. Like, I see absolutely no reason we shouldn't just have this like idea now. <laughs> like it's deployed, approved. Let's go. Like, how are we going to do it? Yeah. What's the what's the logistics of it? Um, and I sort of just, I do what I'm, like, in the real world, I'm a tech guy, so I try and do some of the back-end stuff and make it easier uh, and easier to track so we don't have to spend so much time on the boring stuff throughout the year. Um, but, yeah, we'll all, we'll all pitch in. And it's kind of like even just recommendations from within the team. Like, the heads of other teams will come through and just be like, what are the rules looking like? And it's like, yeah, are we on schedule? Like, we're, everyone's checking on everyone. Uh, and, you know, we we put in as much as we can all the way through. It's definitely not just me. And it's definitely not just even, you know, the the organizers themselves. Everyone's getting their, their teams together. Yeah, there's a saying in my line of work, which is uh, the best way to have a good idea is to have lots of ideas. Yes. <clears throat> so, I mean, I think uh, that sort of... And I'm curious, Ben, like, so your experience compared to Josh's in terms of airsoft in Australia is the same, which is that it's not a thing. Yeah. So where are you getting your ideas? Like, how are you coming up with some of these these suggestions that you're making to Josh for what about this or what about that? Like, how are you coming across that stuff? Yeah, well, initially it would have started with just watching some YouTube videos on things like Nilsson West and all of that. Um, then I suppose it sort of came a bit from playing some gel ball up in Queensland. Um, I don't haven't played a lot recently, but I'm heavily active in one of the squads up there who now has their own field. Um, actually, two of them in our team have their own field and run their own events and Milsims. So um, there's always a lot of chatter coming from them on how they play their games and what they like and what they hate. Um, and then, then next to that, basically this Discord, the Stormriders, the amount of content um, that you guys have been popping out recently especially of like the uh, Carolina boys and, you know, certain games they run, certain mechanics they run. I hear it and I say, Josh, listen to this podcast because we should be doing that. Um, and if we're not doing that, then, you know, we're failing. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's the hard line. If we don't do it, we're failing. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, as an outsider looking in, I can't, I can't, I, I can't imagine anyone would give you a failing grade just by virtue of the adversity that you have to play Airsoft in. Um, I think you're, uh, the fact that you're still doing this, you know, since 2014 on is, is a massive kudos to uh, the community that you have built. Um, not just your own resilience, Josh and Cal and, you know, the early organizers, but the fact that you really, you really lived that, um, that dynamic, but this is not the outro. So I'll save that for later. Um so Ben, what are you looking forward to at this event in particular? What are you going to be doing differently, or dare I say it, better uh, this year than previous years? Yeah, uh, well, I brought it up in the last episode, but the big thing for me this year is my own team, of course. This will be our debut. Um, and me and my other sort of team lead admin have put a lot into this sort of really standing out this year of... Uh, hey, look at these guys because they know what they're doing. Um, they're having fun, you know. Like all the new people coming this year should be looking at us and, of course, other squads. But they should be seeing this is sort of a standard that Oswan now wants to come to. Um, for example, Josh here, old previous years, him and all the other admin guys, they've been wearing black t-shirts and jeans as their uniform. Um, whereas now they're buying full camouflage, multicam chest rings and everything and they look like completely different people so um mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely want to definitely want to focus on sort of uplifting that sort of standard as to this is a milsim game um and as much as airsoft is just fun like it doesn't need to be anything more um it should definitely be more than just a fun thing that people do that's what paintball is paintball is hey let's go spend a shitload of money sorry and um it's all good and uh you know shooting each other with paint for the weekend because that's a bit of fun whereas flying to a whole other country to do an immersive experience for four days it's you gotta you gotta put more into it you know it's um if all it takes is all you have sort of concept uh apart from that uh definitely want to step up more on the sort of admin side um 
curious to take more notes on how this game runs and what works, what doesn't, because that'll make a huge impact into the future of next year. You know, like you said, since 2014, next year is going to be the 10 year anniversary and you'd have to make it a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because all the other ones, you know, they they have to pale in comparison to the ten year anniversary for sure. <laughs> Josh, but what about you? Like, I, I know we talked about some of the things that you're that you're planning and you're 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 thinking about. But um, what are you what are you really looking forward to this year? And what are you as a player slash organizer? What is something that you're looking to change or do better this year? Uh, so we we've taken the feedback on. I got I do get some feedback uh, immediately. And then I ask for as much feedback as I can get after. Uh, and as soon as it's, it comes from more than one person, I'm like, this is worth considering. So mm-hmm. uh, everyone has something that they do and don't enjoy about every game. That's just the nature of the like dynamic sort of range of players that you get in the sport. We have people from all over the country of all walks of life. Um, and like some people don't like walking this far. And I'm like, okay, well, then you better make sure that you're really prepared for that capture mission where you get a respawn out of it because you're mm-hmm. going to want that respawn uh, some people are like no we should like it should be more immersive like i think there was you know there was a, a large sesame street character on the field and it sort of ruined it ruined the experience for some people and i'm like mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure more people enjoyed that than than didn't but we have done it i think <laughs> like three years in a row so i was like yeah well maybe we should uh, should wind it back when we're doing more missions but it's really just thinking about what would be good for the gameplay and thinking about it over and over, um, making sure that the map is safe, making sure that everything is kind of, you know, would you do this again? I don't, I don't want people to sort of come and be like, oh, after doing three conquests in a row, this story is good, but it could have been better. It's like, it needs to be mm-hmm. pretty good. Like it, and, and almost overwhelmed, like missions are going to release. You don't have to complete them then, but they will be available more and more and more. So by the end of the game, there's a whole sort of list of things that you can choose from, but some will be timed. So yeah. you have to do the timed ones as a priority of you know what what you would like to achieve and what the points are worth. Some will like some points will be told so you know where to spend your energy. Some won't. Some will be there's like there's an, an, an amount of points that this is worth as a bonus. Well, you're completing this mission that's definitely worth fifty, like there's a bonus in it for you. I'm not going to tell you that the bonus is five or 25, um, but it'll be significant at the end. And it's worth pointing out, especially uh, we had three conquests and we had at the end of the year, I think like one mission made the difference between the decider because red won one year, blue won another year. And then the winner took it out by one mission that was worth a hundred points. Uh, and they won by 80. So what? if they hadn't have, if they haven't completed that mission, they didn't get over the line. Uh, and it took we t- I think we took three we had to, we had to take three runs at making sure this worked out because I was like I did it once in my head and I'm like all right that's that's I mean it's that close we were aiming for close but we weren't aiming for like mm-hmm. a hair over the mark. But that's been like every year it's been I think the beginning of of uh, the Sunday so the third day which is usually a little bit shorter but still a full day. It's been one day to each like uh, to each side, so the Sunday still counts and it matters all mm-hmm. the way through. And we don't tell anyone this normally, but uh, like I think we'll we we may mention it like half half time, so when everyone's switching sides, and we're just like this is wild. They're really good, like they're actually really good. The Kiwis, the Aussies, everyone's pulling through. There's no shortage of action out there. Like we're always worried that like oh, what if we send some people over here? And there's just nothing going on there. And they're there for two hours. Like, we're always, always present of mind about that. Like, I will send someone go to go and check or even just think about where we've sent people. Uh, and, like, if this capture point, for example, in the past has been read all day, is this same squad there looking after it? And, like, I need to make sure that, you know, check in with their general to make sure that they're swapping them out. And there's not just, you know, three squads getting heaps of action, another three just sort of sitting down there on stag. Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely to make sure that there's, you know, uh, enough radios. We had sort of one set of game radios, which was for all five capture points. And then we wanted to increase the amount of capture points, but we didn't increase the amount of radios. So I was like, well, they're all on one channel. It's fine. I don't need one. Like we, we had one for every admin and one for every capture point. Uh, and I went, nah, two more capture points. 
we can have one we could have one game radio if it goes down everyone's got their you know their little ones and stuff and we had multiple channels going so it was fine mm-hmm. um but we always get them done like professionally so they work all around all around the field and we've never had an issue they actually work i think they kind of work all around the city which is wild um <laughs> but yeah just just the little things and making sure that everyone's like i had to check in with uh new players more i think that was something that i'll always i've always i always like doing it but it's always something that you know is this happening is that happening I, and you know you you walk up you've got an orange uh like armband on as an admin or people know who you are and there's just questions flying from mm-hmm. everywhere and i'm like ask your team leader your team leader will ask your general general class me or if it's like and that's you know that's gameplay related if it's gameplay related go up the chain of command it's kind of fun because you have to send the guy who's in charge to go and ask a question and then he yeah. knows it so at least your whole squad will be aware of the answer when he comes back because he's probably going to tell all of you and then that might be information that, mark, that no yeah. one else asked like yeah, yeah. um but yeah, it's going to be... I'm getting too excited. <laughs> it's going to be such, so, a, such a good one. Let, let me ask you, what is, in your in your time organizing, what is the most meaningful piece of feedback that you got from a from a player? Like, And I don't mean like a suggestion. I mean like so, someone shared something with you that was the most meaningful, that sort of um, really hits home. It's like, this is why I do this. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I think... The I this is actually from last night. Last night I asked two of our players that were in different points on their journey. So a good friend of mine who I invited has been playing since uh, 2017, and then another. Uh, so it was Koala, and that's his name. That's his actual name. Uh, Koala and Matt, and they were both asked the same question, and they both had the same answer. And it was literally like, I was like, what's something you can, like, what's your number one thing about the, the event? Or what's something you can tell me being a new player so that I can, you know, have that as just in my mind. So, you know, if we're speaking about this tomorrow and they both answered the same way. And they said, as soon as you land, you have like 120 more family members. Like everyone is like your friend. And it's you like people that would never meet. They would never, ever cross paths people from like thousands of kilometers away from each other are like Mm -hmm. mates instantly and that just comes with doing a good job and putting the work in like we that wasn't we weren't design we weren't here to sort of design a way for everyone to make friends that was the byproduct of us just doing a good job but we didn't have a choice when we came back that first year we were like we have to do this like, no one's doing this. We have to do this. This has to be, like, at, at, at the very minimum, we had to raise awareness about it. But when we realized we could just go back, we were like, what's reasonable? How do we just do... And now there's, like, multiple teams. There's a Kiwi-Australian hybrid team that makes their own events, and they do it exactly six months after we do, pretty much. So if you wanted to, you could do two events, um, like, playing Airsoft, uh, but it just gets, like like, majority Kiwi players. We're the only one that's organized by Aussies for ourselves. But you, you see all these like Aussies pop up in like airsoft content. And I'm like, this is actually really interesting. The page that I had followed that was just Kiwis for years now has an Australian member. Someone moved over there and went, now I can do this every weekend. <laughs> and I was like, this is this is really cool. So the, the camaraderie that just came with the ability for us to organize something like this is probably just one of the great points of feedback because I never thought about it, but yeah, it's true. And I think most people you ask would be able to at least agree with that, but that was their answer for like, what, what did you get the most out of it? Like I, I, I just asked them as a new, as a new player or on your journey, what have you experienced different? Because Koala's been playing for four years. Matt's been playing for two and there was guys that were brand new last year, but they create content and do stuff that I'm, you know, it's way out of my capability. <clears throat> it's interesting matt's great because his first year was congress 2019 and again he jumped into it not knowing anyone there he booked a combination of all of us and you know we're all getting kind of drunk one night and matt's just sitting on the couch joining in as if he you know was the uncle that's always been around and then yeah. obviously COVID happened um come last year our first event after COVID, and matt's there and i'm going oh matt you know from you came in 2019 didn't you and he's like yeah i was there like yeah it's great to see you back because obviously after COVID, a lot of people 
couldn't come back. Um, and to see that, you know, players like him jumped on it without a second thought is, you know, it's truly motivating to see the reason that not only others do want to come back, but you should be coming back to see them. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, players like yourself as well, Ben, make a huge difference in that because as an organizer, Josh, you know, that that's one part of it. But the fact is that people need to be welcoming in the community that they're actually going to be bumping elbows. Josh can be in as nice as, as he wants, but he's not holding that point with, you know, Joe, who just came out to their first to their first year. It's going to be someone like Ben, right? And so there's, you know, it's a huge feather in both of your caps. And I would say in all of the caps of all the players who seem to go over, because it sounds like you've created this, this community where everyone understands that necessity to, you know, you got to be cool and you got to be chill, relaxed, welcoming. You still, I'm sure, like you mentioned, you get those, ten- not tensions really, but that, that sort of pride, that Aussie versus Kiwi pride that comes up, I'm sure, at different points. Um, but it's all in good fun and in spirit of the game, right? Like it's it's part, it. I would say it adds more to it than it takes away, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I for one, I look for my favorite Kiwis, you know? I, I point him out, I go, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the guy I'm telling you about, you know? You go talk to him, because he's a good time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Again, another thing I'm excited to look at is the point system for this event. Um, is that going to be visible to the players? It will be. It'll be dropped with the rules. So, but, I mean, like, they'll the understand points that we gain. Uh, there will be check-ins. There will be radio check-ins normally. Um, the same way as you would uh, do a readout. So, you know, when we were doing a readout on Conquest, mm-hmm. basically, if you wanted to know what the board looked like, you would radio HQ and be like, "What's the like? what are the points? And we would read out the points mm-hmm. and who currently held them. What we'll probably do the points? same, but we'll just read out what team, like what teams are, are doing what. Individual points will be allocated so we can see, you know, who's having an impact and who's not. Um, not that there's anyone that's not going to be having an impact if everyone's out there. But so just to make HVTs sure... Are. Well, well, we'll start assigning yeah. HVTs when there's, you know, if they're uh, standouts from that squad. So you'll have your squad and you'll have your number. And when you radio in, say that an objective needs to be verified, we'll send an admin out, but we'll mark that against the player who radioed in. And if they're there when the, when we check it, then they get, like the first points and the second points like it'll be marked just it'll be marked in a fairly simple way because we need to be able to do it uh and have multiple people doing it at the same time in the hq tent um but it'll be interesting and you will be able to check in so if you if you wish to know where you are in comparison to the other field you can the individual points will probably not be released at all until the end of the game you can probably get your own um But yeah, I probably wouldn't do the the main score sheet. It's just to see how we can run the game better day after day after day. And that's all you're getting, Frosty. I'm not telling you anything anything more than you need to know as a player. (laughs) As an avid gamer, I enjoy pulling up the leaderboard to see where I'm at, you know? Well, everyone likes to tab every once in a while. So I get, yeah, I get what you mean. (laughs) One of my last questions, I think it has to do with just the logistics of it. I think if I remember correctly, like your games run until 5 p.m. in the evening. Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, so uh, Friday and Saturday will be sort of like 8.30 at the brief, 9 o'clock start if we can get on there. Sometimes it's, you know, an hour late. Um, the actual game itself, so it'll be a full day Friday and it'll be a full day Saturday, but the Saturday will be a full day of the game itself. So Black mm-hmm. Gecko will be all of Saturday. And most of Sunday, I think we're just shaving an hour off at the end because we have an annual team dinner that everyone goes to and everyone is invited to who played the game. It's a good sort of way to de-stress and get prepped for the Monday even. Um, the biggest day is Saturday, and in the middle of Saturday, you'll we'll, we'll have the switch sides. Um, so it starts halfway through Friday and then goes all day on uh, Sunday. Any considerations for the future for nighttime play? We have done nighttime play in the past, and it has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. quite hard to organize, and it is quite hard to admin. So... We did do night ops one year, but it didn't count towards the game's points. When mm-hmm. we do them again, I will have them probably... I'll try to have them sort of uh, actually be a part of the game. So not everyone has to attend, but you need to sort of, you know, let us know how many squads there's going to be, and if we have to balance it out, then we will do that. Um, they're just a little harder to organize, and it's, it's you know, if someone goes missing or if there's not, you know, the, the right... Uh, 
sort of preparation in play, which I again I don't think we can do this year with the, the numbers that we've got. Uh, it's it's fantastic to do night ups, but it also it takes a lot more organization than a day game. Yeah, it's hard to police. Is night vision available? Nah. <laughs> but, yeah. um, it's hard to police night ups. Uh, so like 2019, I think is when we did it. And problem is after a long day, a lot of people are tired, want to go home and have a shower and get ready for the next day, um, which I was going to do. But then this guy who I met was like, no, we're going out. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, what else are you going to do night ops? And I'm glad I went because we haven't done it since. And it was, although hard to play, an experience, um, you know, mm-hmm. running around in the dark, seeing these illumination flares go up into the sky. It was surreal as far as Airsoft was to me at that point. And um, definitely something I think new players should experience in the future or even players who just haven't experienced it before. But uh, yeah, hard to police because again, not everyone's going to want to go. So if you were to put it into the main point system, you might get 40% of one team and then 15% of the other team. And clearly that's an imbalance that you'd have to figure out. And you raise a really good point, like in terms of the, like just physical endurance of the players. I mean, if you're not accustomed to playing an event or attending an event that is physically demanding for an extended period of time, if you're on your feet from 9 p.m. 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and then 6 p.m. rolls around and goes, okay, you're going to night ops. That pl- that player has been on the go for, you know, going on 10 hours. Sometimes it's, you know, it can be a little bit uh, fatiguing if the, if they're not, if they haven't experienced that before, right? So I totally, I totally get your point there. Um, my absolute last question, Josh, for you. Um, I'm just curious, like you, you mentioned about like creating props and stuff like that. What is in your mind the best prop that you've ever built or created? Um... Gee, that's a hard one. Uh, we don't get too creative um, with the props that were out there. We have had some props, though, um, that have been very entertaining. The, I think, so the old the old organization actually had access to some, some really cool gear. So I would probably say the greatest prop that I've seen, and that was part of the team event, was a suicide vest that was brought into the 48 hour game that we did. So that was on, we were on three hour rotations for that. So if you needed rest, you got it in the three hours that you were, you know, on rest. And there was four platoons because we had four platoons. We had one on mission, one as the QRF and then one guarding the base. And because of the rules of engagement, civilians would come and go. And right at the changing of the shift, we, as uh, the the team that I was on, so the so the sorry the platoon that I was in, were on guard duty. So, and I believe I was in charge of that, or it might have been uh, Cal. And we effectively let in uh, the guy in the suicide vest to stand right next to an entire platoon that was about to go out on mission and push the little red button. So that that went off with a bang. And one of the organizers that was assisting has just gone, right, all of you guys are dead. And we've gone, oh, so this is why we're supposed to check them for ID and check them for weapons. And I had just quietly gone over and I'm like, did you check him for? And he's like, yeah, I told you I checked him. And I'm like, did you check him for weapons? He's like, no, I checked his ID. And I'm like, well, so we know exactly who it is that blew us all up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that doesn't help the guys. That, and then, like, the, some of the guys were, that were in that platoon were like, oh, that's not great. Because they had just been come off rest. So they were ready to go yeah. out on a mission. They were pumped. They were ready to go. And then I was like, let this be a lesson. If we <laughs> say really. check for ID and check for weapons, what do you do? Check for ID and check for weapons. I'm like, I think we've all learned this lesson. And I think the only guys that didn't get to see it um, because the QRF was in, was the people that were out on mission and they were coming back and they were tired. And like, why does everyone look so sad? And we're like, we don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear about it. We don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and I was like, That's all right, awesome. that, was, that was a cool prop. Uh, and, and a cool use of the game rules as well, which is something we're, we're sort of leaning towards bringing back in. I think the last couple of years, I've, I've really explained it as a Millsoft event. It's kind of like mm-hmm. halfway into Millsim, halfway just kind of really big gaming. Um, but we really want to, and I, a lot of the guys really want to get, especially the guys that have been coming for a few years, really want to get behind a, a full-blown Milsim aspect and, and leaning back into that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Milsim adjacent, as I, as I like to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I call it guys, Chilsim. 
chill sim. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> chill good sim. one. Chill yeah, yeah, that's a awesome. Very long chill sim. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a that's a good way of looking at it, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about this. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing how uh, Black Gecko goes. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again uh, to do an after action and debrief on uh, all the secret squirrel stuff that you weren't allowed to talk about today, Josh. Um, <laughs> and uh, hopefully at that time, we can also uh, show, share some pictures or some video, whatever you guys have. I'm so, so excited to be able to, uh, to talk to you guys and discover what Airsoft is like in a part of the world that is so so far removed from where we are and in in many ways really rings a lot of similar bells to my experience even though it's it's obviously very different uh i see a lot of the similarities and uh, i i really appreciate that so thank you so much for coming on thanks so much for sharing that um and um that's all i've got for you uh listeners thank you so much for listening um, make sure to check out uh, the Discord if you want to have conversations with Ben about uh, all the chill sim he's going to be doing in New Zealand. Uh, but until that time, that's all I got for you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.